All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to live and think for yourself, period. And, you know, it's just so much that has taken place. We took some time off. We missed you guys. It's a whole bunch that we need to catch up on. I have Raina with us today. Hey, Ray. Sorry, my phone decided to go black the precise moment that you said, hey. Um, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Hey, nothing much, nothing much. You know, you already know all the details. But, you know, it was we had a great conversation the other day. and You know, we talk all the time. And we were talking about the mass incarceration system, and that's why today we want to talk about religiosity and the mass incarceration system and how religion has a direct connection to the mass incarceration system in America, the most barbaric one, you know, throughout the Western world, if you will, and we want to talk about mm-hmm. this, but the main question on the table is why isn't the secular community addressing these very real issues? Movement atheism. What's the deal with and this? Crazy. You know, we've been and go ahead, honey. And and especially these issues that have very real connections to religiosity in the public sphere. You know? And Exactly. It's like it's 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 like you have the ability to to do two things <laughs> attack this you know institution you know and 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 talk about you know how this encroaches on freedom from religion and you also have right. an opportunity to do some good right which is to address the fact that we need our our this the the, incarcer- the incarceration system in particular is one of many systems that needs um, restructuring completely. It's got reform, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's just. I feel like there's just so many missed opportunities, you know, among the the this um you know the activism or what passes for activism in this community. And um, I would like to see. I would like to see people think a little deeper. You know? Right. Aim a and little higher. Cases, we just want, oh, yeah, and with some people, we just want you to think, period. We can help you think a little deeper by giving you the resources, but you have too many people out here that are saying, well, this doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You know, um, it's just amazing the apathy that we see amongst people. And there are certain groups of people we expect this from. But some of us that are closer to being impacted by this, whether we've gone through it or not, or have had members of our family or friends go through it, I would think that they that you would have a much deeper interest in all of these things. But that's just me, and not everybody thinks like me. And unfortunately, you have people on both sides 
that do not care anything about any of this until it directly impacts them meaning a child or a sibling or a spouse or a significant other or what have you, are impacted by this. But you got to understand, you know, with this here is tied to politics, it's tied to, you know, systemic racism and all of these things. So this is one of the reasons why we're coming to you because we just kind of want to encourage you to think deeper about this situation and where it came from and how it impacts us. And so later on after the show, I'm going to post a bunch of links, you know, like I used to do back in the day. Like we said, we're rebooting, we're renewing, we're restarting, we're going to do things a little differently this time, but we are back. Um, And there are two books, well, actually an author, her name is Miriam Kaba. Miriam, M-A-R-I-A-M-E, Kaba, K-A-B-A. She has two books. We do this till we free us, abolitionist organizing and transforming justice. And she has another book, No More Police, A Case for Abolition. I truly recommend that you all go out and do a search on her and read some of her writing and and purchase these books because she's been out here doing abolitionist work for a long time, and she's right. And she's out of Chicago, but she's based in New York again. I've had the privilege of meeting her a couple of times. That's great. So, Raina, yeah, you know. So, you want to go ahead and take the lead on this? No, this is your show, Tim. This is your show. Yes, it is my show, but I was just trying to be. You know how I am. You are not a guest. No, 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 no. You really think anyone's going to believe you when you say you are a guest? Okay. <laughs> so I'll go I ahead mean, and I'll... it's true. <sighs> anyway, you are never a guest. You are family, honey. But, okay, so before we get started on this, I want to remind you guys about something that happened a couple of years ago that is still happening now. We brought it to your attention And, you know, whether you followed up about it or not, I don't know. But I want to direct you to NPR. And they have, you know, this conversation, church can start its own police force. And this came out of the Alabama, out of Alabama, right? And there's a large Exactly. It is insane. What what does the church need with its own police force? (laughs) I mean, they already control to a certain degree the state and the federal government, which is the basis for what we're going to be talking about today. But I'm just saying, what do they need with their own police force? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't believe in private police anyway, right? Like, I'm I'm firmly against private police. For one, there's, there's there's a lot of gray area, right, in terms of private police. And, and and what and and whose rules they're enforcing. Right. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. who and, and you know, what authority they actually have. You know what I right. mean? Do I am I as a citizen to hold into you, you know, private police? You know what I mean? Um you know what I mean, the same way that I am to the police that I actually like, you know, pay for by my tax dollars like I don't know it's just very weird 
You know what I mean? And and the idea that a church needs its own police force, a ch- for what? Exactly. Right. For what? <laughs> like, what are you going to arrest people for not tithing? <laughs> well, what what happened here is I'll read this paragraph. Both chambers' legislation specifically names Briarwood Presbyterian Church a Birmingham megachurch that says, well, that says, quote, it needs its own police officers to keep its school as well as its more than 4,000-person congregation safe, end quote. That's why they need their own police force, according to them. Yeah. And the police officers would be giving, quote, all the duties, all of the duties invested with all of the powers of law enforcement officers in this state. Just imagine if you piss pastor off or a deacon or a member of the board of trustees, and they have police powers. What if you don't believe in tithing and don't tithe or, you know, you lose your job and so the tithing and offerings that you normally would give, you can't give it because you're in between gigs right now or you're just starting over, are they going to arrest you for not being a good steward of God's money and the church was counting on you and they consider your consistency in donations as a contract? That's enforceable. And this is the first instance of a church having its own police force. That's, wow. Mm -hmm. Very, very scary. Yeah, it is. So, you know, I want to direct their attention to go and um, read this. The name of the article is, again, Church Can Start Its Own Police Force, Alabama Senate Says, it was written by Bill Chappelle, and this was written on April 12, 2017. And I know we talked about it, and I know we covered it, but I just think it's important for you all to go back and take a look at this and see what's happening in this country, especially with the rise of white Christian nationalism and, and their call for law and order and, and more financing of the police. You also need to look into how many of these churches, as well as church leadership, are invested in these private prisons? Or if the church owns their own, it just hasn't been made public because nobody investigated. I mean, you know, we want you to go out and look for these things. If you find it, expose it, we will amplify it. But it's very important. There is another article, an opinion piece, op-ed, It says why we should be concerned about Alabama's new church police. And this was written September 6, 2019, by Michael Banerjee. So this was written two years after, you know, the NPR piece. And, um, you know, and this is happening, you know, it's going to start happening across the country if it already has it. I haven't had a chance to really look and see if there are any other churches that have established their own police force. But when you look at what's happening with these, you know, white nationalist Christians and particularly white evangelicals, you need all the hairs on your body should be standing straight up because, you know, 
most recently, they're passing these bills and these policies across the country, one city, one state at a time, about trans rights or anti-trans rights, right, Raina? And, and yeah. you know, will they feel as though they have the right to arrest trans people because it offends their Bible, their, their religion? It's just... It's all so intertwined. Where the hell are you, movement atheism? Right. These are perfect for you to get I mean, where was into condemning. Alliance in, in Tennessee, you know? I mean, exactly. <laughs> it's in the name. Students is in the name. These are students. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, exactly. You know, if you, if you, regard these secular issues as if safety is not an issue (laughs) that concerns people who are secular then i mean what what is an issue what are what are the what are our issues you know what i mean i mean we should all care about safety we should all be invested in safety you know um exactly these, these are these are children going to school you have like i said secular student alliance if if this child or a, a, a child or a young person going to an institution of you know higher learning or, or not even higher learning but just of 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 sorry instruction, my cat is being a jerk. Sorry, um, <laughs> you know they're going to you know to these institutions for instruction. They're not going to dodge bullets. <laughs> like exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, right, if, if, if right. all we're concerned about, if all we're concerned about is whether or not they're being, you know, having religion forced upon them, like, I mean, you know, it, 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 it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, you know, whether, however we may feel about religiosity in the public space, right? Um, there's, I mean, there's nothing inherently violent about someone, you know, saying that you should believe in God. But there is something about, you know, the moment that we're living in with all of these, you know, you know, um, the gun lobby, you know, uh, basically pushing these mm-hmm. laws, allowing for more guns to be carried in more public spaces and, you know, less regulation, um, you know, trying to roll back laws that would, you know, prohibit people who have assault charges or other things, you know, in their record from attaining guns, you know, you would think that, like, this would be of concern, you know? Right. Because mm-hmm. for the secular community, it's, you know, they're saying, well, you know, the, the whole religion in, in the secular space or, or in secular spaces makes us, you know, all less safe or all less um you know, like we, it just, it, you know, because they want to enforce their way of life on us, right? Well, right. I mean, what is, what is stochastic violence? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, honey. What you got it? it? It's just, it's too, it's, it's just, it's, you have to, you just have to think outside of the, the very narrow box that, like, the, the community, um, operates in you know 
Um, these, exactly. these issues are connected, you know, and it's important to, that we understand that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I want you guys to understand that we are back. So we're getting ready to start putting some pressure on you. Um, quite a few of these large white atheist organizations have chapters or affiliates in these different states. The ones that have affiliates and chapters in Tennessee, well, I hate to tell you, but we're getting ready to come for you like we used to because it makes no sense. It makes no sense that this is happening and you just went back to being complacent because all you really want is to be a regular white person again without all of this hard, oppressive bullshit, which is one of the reasons why we charge you with racism, because you want to opt out of the race stuff. Now, look at what just happened in Tennessee. It was blatant. The two black men were kicked out, but the white woman was saved by one vote. But the, but the black guys were overwhelmingly kicked out. One of them was called uppity, and they were chastising them as though you would chastise a child or your slave. Where the fuck are your statements? Mm-hmm. Where are you? What are you doing? And, I know and, you motherfuckers are happy to get and rid the, of and, the, and, and not just that, Kim, but, like, one of the legislators that was responsible for, for the votes to expel all three, you know, he, he mm-hmm. said himself that this was not about the rules. They didn't violate any rules. Right. All this was is because they have decided that they are not interested in doing mm-hmm. anything about um, about guns. Right. Not a damn they, thing. They're just not going to do anything about it. And where they screwed up is that it was a private, wealthy, Christian school. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Those children came from money. Their parents are moneyed and faithful to their church and their God. And you just told them that you don't give a damn about them and their children, and you're trying to flip the script. But the thing is is that you flip the script the wrong way because what you've done is you've martyred those young men. Now, while I have an issue with the one pretend, you know, pretending to be Cornell West and Martin Luther King Jr., he doesn't deserve to be treated like that. An issue I have is it was just one big long-ass prayer service when he gave his retort. Um, I feel that way. I, yeah, it is what it is. It is okay. So. Right, 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 because, see, I want people to understand, I am anti-white Christian. I am anti-white church, but I'm not necessarily anti-black church. There are problems, and there are issues, and we call those out. However, I feel that there needs to be a vast re-education because there is a lot all of us need to do. We need to unlearn and deprogram ourselves 
from this shit, and the black church is following the lead of the white church, and it doesn't quite understand that what it's teaching is laced and built upon white supremacy. But some of them understand it. And what they've done is they capitalized it and turned it into hypercapitalization, and you, and it's just it's it's amazing because they want white supremacy but in black face with some of them, and it's just really interesting. But um, yeah, no, they're going to have to restore them. We know that the um, one young man, what's his name? Oh my goodness, Jones. Representative Jones is going Justice to be restored. Yeah, and Representative Pearson, um, hopefully they'll restore him back to his position as well. You know, but the white woman did come out and, and state that it was about racism. And basically they were telling them to shut up, mind your business, you have those positions because we gave them to you, and just like we gave them to you, we can take them away. And that was to and this be is the first a clarion time that has ever happened for a reason that didn't have to do with someone breaking the law. And they did this as a clarion call across the country to let the rest of us Negroes know, know your place, stay in your place. And it's just, you know, the whole thing is just, it's horrific, but it's being allowed to happen. And so, um, huh, I, I'm outdone. I really am because what are we going to do to combat that, especially the ones that are in Tennessee? You have people flying from all over the country to be a part of this story. Some people just want to manipulate and exploit the people, but the majority of the people are there to help. Where are you, movement atheism? Right. Or are you still into the same things, drugs, alcohol, orgies, a little bit of racism, a little bit of misogyny, and that's all you're about in some cases. And the ones that are not just all about that, where are your voices? I haven't gone to look. But have any of these large organizations out here put out any public statements condemning what happened to those representatives in Tennessee? Have they put out any statements calling on the state legislature of Tennessee to pass gun reform legislation and law? Some of these large white organizations have legal teams, and they've hired people that have degrees in public administration so they know how to write policy. They show up for right. lobby week. Right, and they're always celebrating. organizations are always talking about, you know, how we need to protect democracy. What was this except for, a, you know, this is, I mean, com- but, but, but completely undemocratic expelling right. two members of the legislative body for no good reason. Exactly. I mean, and that's, then they, that's, they, that's pretty undemocratic. 
Exactly, exactly. And also, you know, what happened with that, if you go back and you listen, the night before they were expelled, human resources went to the white woman and told her if she resigned that they would make sure that she had her health coverage for the rest of her life, right? But nobody talked to the black guys, you know, the black men. No one explained to them what was happening and all of that. And, and again, you know, this is blatant racism that's taking place. And, again, this is, you know, basically, you know, a threat to uppity blacks all across the country that if you start, you know, picking a fight as they see it, talking about racism and sexism and all these other things, that in turn, that they will punish you. They are grooming us, and they've been grooming us from the beginning. And this is what we're talking about. You know, these things here, and if you really want to go and do some some research, I want you all to look up ecclesiastical justice, right? And what that is, is is giving the state part of its judicial to the church. Now, I'm taking this all the way back to the early days of the prison system when I say that, but it's still apropos to this date. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just really interesting. So where the hell are you people? What exactly are you doing? Are you trying to organize? Are you trying to get people out? Because it, 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 it all boils down to this. We're watching you. And we've always said that this community was racist as hell. And interestingly enough, you know, a couple of the people who agreed with us that would write blogs and articles about the racism within the the community, as soon as you gave them speaking gigs and some money, they stopped writing about the racism in this community. Did it suddenly stop? Did they was was there an epiphany somewhere, Raina, that I missed? Mm. Not that I not that no? I saw. Hmm. Funny how that works. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and it's just interesting because, you know, in one of these articles and, you know, they were talking about how specifically solitary confinement came from a religious ideal or what have you. And basically what they would do is, especially if a monk was considered wayward, they would put them in their little church prisons and put them in solitary confinement so they can commune with the Holy Spirit and the Lord and the Word. And they would send in older, more experienced monks to talk to that young one to bring them into the marvelous light, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just really interesting because I think about my childhood sometimes, and I'll give you one example. When I would ask my mother questions about the Bible that were particularly complex, I would be sent to my Mm -hmm. room to pray and let the Holy Spirit guide me and to read my Bible. Mm. Ain't that some shit? Yeah. And this happens in a lot of households. But go ahead, Raina. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to add. It's just, you know, um, the whole the whole notion of, like, solitary confinement is, you know, comes out of, you know, the Catholic Church primarily, and it's, it's still with us. It's, um, it's just, you know, and it's completely ineffective. I mean, and it's, and it's really abuse is what it is. It's a form of torture. I mean, if you consider it, um, you know, if you, if, if anyone was to put their child in a, in a room approximately the size of a closet and, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they, you know, fed them three times a day and, you know, all of that, make sure they had water, you know, there's there's pretty much no uh, Department of Child and Family Services is not going to consider that abuse. But hmm. if you're an, if you're an adult person and you're in, you know, the penitentiary, and, and you know, the word penitentiary comes from penitent, which, mm-hmm. you know, comes from the Catholic, you know, tradition, you know. Exactly. The, you know, it, it's okay when you're doing that to a fully grown person. Um, and we know, you know, based on psychology and all of that, that, you know, this uh, this type of punishment um, is harmful. It's deeply, deeply harmful. People have come out of solitary confinement having nightmares, having, um, you know, all different kinds of mental conditions, PTSD, depression, you know, anxiety, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I've I've seen one person um, who, you know, survived, you know, solitary confinement saying that he hasn't had a decent night's sleep since before Mm -hmm. um, he went into solitary confinement. And he's out, right? Now, you know, so that tells you mm-hmm. something. Um, there's something about the way that we punish people that is deep, deeply harmful. And if it's harmful, it it you know, and you know, and we know that it is, um, and, right. and it makes people violent, which we know that it does. Right. You know what I mean? It's not. It doesn't protect us, and it doesn't benefit us in any real way. So we really need to rethink how, um, you know, how we um, are going to engage with punishment. You know exactly. And um, exactly. And and whether or not the this model, this sort of retribution model, you know, this, you know, religiously informed you know, penitentiary model that we currently employ is benefiting us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And again, we wouldn't, no, it doesn't. And, you know, and again, you know, focusing a little bit more on the American system, again, you need to go and read the 13th and 14th amendments. You need to watch the 13th or 13th by Ava DuVernay. Um, Michelle Alexander, the new Jim Crow, Khalil Muhammad, the condemnation of black people, told you about Miriam um, Kaba. And and this is the thing. Even when they talk about hell, when Christians talk about hell, hell is like a prison. So basically a lot of the prison system is designed to be hell. Oh, you know, well, let's, let's, not, let's, not, let's not, let's not, let's not, we don't even have to go that far, Kim. 
We don't even have to go mm-hmm. that far. Let's talk about let's talk about how prisons operate. You know what I mean? Like how they exactly. how they have how they have always operated. How they how they exploit, you know, essentially free labor or, or next exactly. free labor. Right? Exactly. And and and, and it, how it how it resembles yeah, I was going to say how it resembles another institution that um, a lot of atheists like to bring up when they talk about why black people are Christian. Right. You know, an institution that might be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I mean. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you get, it's like, it's like, you know, you, it's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be a Christian because. You know, you 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 were um, forced to be a Christian because of slavery, right? And yet, mm-hmm. you're using, we have a a prison system that is informed by the same religiosity, right? The same belief, and mm-hmm. it's it's basically propping up the the same um, the same paradigm, right? Except right. that. Instead of it being based solely on your being, you know, black or white, and honestly, that would honestly, I, I debate that honestly because <laughs> I think there's many ways that you could debate that um, that it's still based largely on race, right? Right. Um, exactly. It's just, it's just you know codified slightly differently. You know what I mean? Right. But mm-hmm. you know, these these are secular issues too. You know, exactly. You know, a lot of exactly. atheists, a lot of atheist secularists, like to say that they're good without God. Well, where? Right, where? Exactly. Yeah, you're good without God. So, where are you? Mm-hmm. What are where you? Where are you? Where, where, where it was concerned to be this. Exactly. You're absolutely mm-hmm. correct, you know, and um, I was reading this abstract, and let me scroll up so I can tell you the name of the abstract. And, of course, let's see here. I'm going the wrong way. Um, there's an abstract, and it's talking about a book, Necropolitics, the, Religion, the Religious Crisis of Mass Incarceration in America, and this mm-hmm is authored by Christopher Ringer, right? And this was published in 2021, so I'm just going to read the short summary they have here. But it says, this book argues that the othering and criminalization of black people in times of crisis is part of the religious meaning of America that fuels the problem of mass incarceration, the author develops a religious interpretation of the significance of these images to America's political economy that produces the very problem we punish as a society. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and um, go ahead, honey. No, no, no. Oh, I'm yeah. disagreeing. I don't have anything. Yeah. And Anthony Penn was cited um, in this abstract or in this book and it's based on a book that he published or a piece that he published in 2021 I haven't gone to look but it's titled Interplay of Things Religion, Art and Presence Together so this was 
you know, published by Anthony Penn sometime in 2021. So wanted to make sure we gave a shout out to somebody we knew. And, um, you know, it's the whole thing, like I said, it's just interesting. And it needs to be called out because there is no reason for them not to have people on the front line talking about these issues, taking a lead, at least having somebody represent movement atheism, you know, um, in this particular situation. And the church is complicit, absolutely. And, I mean, some of you, even when you go to church on a Sunday, the pastor will condemn you, make a whole sermon about you because they feel they have a right to, to, to punish you. But then we'll turn around and say that the world has no right to, you know, render any type of punishment, opinion on them because God's law is separate from secular law, even though they heavily influence secular law, but that has no bearing on them. They can do no wrong. And God ordained them. So who are you? And now... Judge them. The Alabama legislature has given has given God's soldiers guns and badges. Yes, Lord. And we should all oh, be yeah. afraid. <laughs> exactly. And some of you out there that are Christians or you know, even if you're not a Christian, you need to go and take a look and find out if your church leadership, particularly your pastors and your bishops and all of those folks, if they are invested in these prison stocks. Because I need you all guys to understand that some of these private prisons are being traded on the public stock exchange. It's always been about the money. You can't separate it. So, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, in this particular article here, you know, they're talking about Christians who see the church and world as entirely separate domains with their own distinctive norms are able to sense no tension between their support for a relentlessly punitive criminal justice system and the incessant call to, in Scripture to practice forgiveness and reconciliation, a call they conveniently confine to the sphere of interpersonal relationships within the church. And this author, Marshall, he lambasted by saying that this is theological schizophrenia, saying that such incongruity is theologically indefensible. Well, yeah, that's, that what they, that's what they want, especially this um, new... Christian reformist movement, or I forget what they call it now, but we have a new a, a movement in the United States amongst a certain group of evangelicals where they want to establish an order, a patriarchal order, such that it's um, prophet, prophet, teacher, elder, you know, husband kind of line of authority, right? Right. And um and we already know what that looks like, you know, on a um you know, in, in most situations. That is that is the essentially the um hierarchy of the of the Jehovah's Witness Church. Exactly. That is the hierarchy of a lot of cults. 
right? Exactly. Um, you know, if someone has an issue, someone harms you, someone is, right. you know, done something offensive or beaten a child or, you know, mm-hmm. what have you, you go in front of the elders, right? The mm-hmm. elders, you know, come up with an idea of what's supposed to go down. I mean, some of these churches are, are as bold as to tell you directly that you are not to engage with this police. Exactly. Exactly. Or mm-hmm. politics, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's interesting and then, because we – go ahead, honey. I'm sorry. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was going to say is that you see some of that same hypocrisy over in movement atheism. You got certain people who call out the bullshit for the truth, and you want to cancel them because they're speaking against someone that you, quote, unquote, admire. And then when what they said turns out to be true and it comes out in a very public way, then you want to talk about restorative justice. But you were complicit with the shit. So anyway, let's go back to this here, and, you know, I'm going to read another part of this. It says, the church is called to bear witness to the reality of God's saving justice in Christ, both by proclaiming it verbally in the story of the gospel and by putting it into practice in the way it deals with offending and failure in its own midst. And and it says, you know, even in spite of legislation around the separation of church and state, Marshall concludes that there can be no justification for saying one thing about God's justice in church and advocating the opposite in the world. How does that work? Yeah, it doesn't really and make sense. Yeah, exactly. And I'll read this last part, and I'm going to, you know, I mean, that, um, post that sounds this article exactly later. like what they used to call in church being double-minded. Hey, now. That's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, right here, you know, it says, as followers of Christ, we must be cognizant of how embracing meritocracy impedes our ability to reflect God's gracious character, restorative nature, and missional activity in the world. You know, and so, you know, again, this was taken from Rethinking Incarceration by Dominique Gilliard. Right, and this came out in 2018. And what is the official name of this article? I told you earlier, the church's complicity in mass incarceration. So again, the church's complicity in mass incarceration. This was written October 11th, 2019, by Dominic Gilliard. So you know, because I want to make sure people can go out and read this for themselves. You know, I don't want you to take our word. I want you to trust but verify. We want you to do your own research and to understand. And so, you know, another article, it talks about why is it so hard for evangelicals to see race as a systemic issue behind the rise of crime? I don't understand why this is so difficult for them to understand. And so, you know, it talks about... I mean, that's um, because of their doctrine, Kim. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. because of their doctrine. So because they're because we already know that they're white supremacists, the, you know, right. these churches. 
the way they don't believe in this notion of, you know, racial justice, right? Right. They think racism is a problem between individuals. So right. the way they the way they get around systemic ju- systemic um, inequality or systemic racism is they say that that it's a, that it's all about personal sin. Mm-hmm. Right. So it puts the onus on individuals and never on systems. So they never have to confront the racism that's built into the system. The racism exactly. that's there, whether you take individuals out or, or, or leave them as they are. Exactly. You know, your faith would have protected you from committing a crime. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe in God hard or strong enough to deliver you from whatever. You know, and with with the system, you know, it's just horrible. But let me tell you the name of this article before I go into it. The title is How Law and Order Evangelicals Help Shape Today's Criminal Justice System. Again, How Law and Order Evangelicals Help Shape Today's Criminal Justice System. And it was written in November 2020 by Yonat Shimron. I apologize because I'm pretty sure I just destroyed your name. But, um, you know, it's talking about, you know, how evangelicals in the midst of the civil rights movement, and I'm reading this, are sitting on the sidelines. There are lots of white, moderate evangelicals who are sympathetic to the broader goals of racial equality, but not a fan of protests or what leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. are doing to change policy and confront Americans on the issue. It's no accident that as debates about the civil rights movement are occurring, that's where evangelicals' conscious on criminal matters are being formed. On the one hand, there's a strong confidence in the law as a way to deal with unrest, but of course that that unrest is happening primarily in African-American neighborhoods and in response to police brutality. Those neighborhoods are a product of racist redlining practices and underinvestment by cities and states. They are themselves racial realities. Law and order becomes an easy way to not have to deal with these inequalities that are there. They can say, after the civil rights movement, we achieved equality, we achieved integration, there shouldn't be any more protests. The second part, and it much surprised me in my research, and again, I'm quoting from this article, is that so many evangelicals saw policing as a humanitarian intervention as, in fact, a gift to black neighborhoods, a way to reward the the vast majority of law-abiding, quote, good, end quote, black Americans. That's a repeated refrain from the 60s on. The problem, of course, is that there is little awareness of the way police routinely operate in a way that's harmful to black neighborhoods. So if you send a police presence into a neighborhood, more people will get arrested. So it's those things working together. Ain't that some shit? A confidence in the right. law and that overrides awareness. And this is why we have to tell, well, we have to remind black people that respectability won't save them. Right. Because to a certain degree, black people have played into that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because black people, you know, particularly during the civil rights movement, 
you know, black people were concerned with trying to prove that they were worthy of being, right. of, of having civil rights, right? So it was important that the people in front be, you know, heterosexual married men. You know what I mean? White and only men. You know. No, not white. They wouldn't be white, Ken. This is the civil rights movement we're talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I apologize. Yeah. I'm thinking about. I'm looking at. Something. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, anyway, honey. That's why it was so important <laughs> that it, it, a certain type of a sort of type of carried out by people who were in, in charge of the civil rights movement, which is why people like Bayard Rustin. And others were, you know, thoroughly marginalized. I mean, um, I don't know. I have to get more information on it. But, you know, when you, when you actually, you know, have, uh, have spoken to people who were, like, at the March on Washington, you realize that there were, there were all different kinds of people there. There were all different kinds of groups represented. But they're not the ones that got pictured uh, or photographed that day. <laughs> They're not the ones right. who, you know, went into the history books, you know. Um, but we were there, you know, gays and lesbians, right. leather community people. I mean, <laughs> they were there, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, all those folks were there. Um, you, you're not going to hear about it because that's not who was put out front because, the, again, the whole mission in, in some respects was to prove that black people were just as moral, just as upstanding, you know, as their white counterparts. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the reason why, like you said, you know, we talk about respectability politics and why it doesn't work, you know. And um thing, you know, when a white person commits a heinous crime, against black people. You know, one example of what happened down there in South Carolina. You have Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson rushing down there to try to get the black people to say that they forgive the white people that committed an injustice. That's respectability politics, another example of it. And I was happy to hear that black woman that says she didn't forgive a damn thing. Are you Because about, when you hear... Angel from um, LSU. Yeah, and um, and basically, you know, when you hear white people when a crime has been committed by a black person against a white person, they talk about crime and punishment and justice. But we're supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to let go and let God. Right? How does that work? That's because when things are done to us, there aren't really humans involved. Exactly. 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 You know, and that's why I would tell people, you know, exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm going to post another article and, you know, what's the name of this article? Let me scroll to the top. Did Evangelicals Shape America's Mass Incarceration? And this was written in July of 2021. Now, mind you, the articles, you know, when I post them, it doesn't mean that I agree with everything in the article. There are certain things that I want you to take from the article and understand. 
but in this particular article has um a, you know it talks about beyond the backlash thesis it says that you know and it's talking it's a book review and it talks about griffith um and how griffith focuses on two time periods that saw increasing demand for heightened policing and imprisonment. These periods were the 1920s through the 1930s, and then the 1960s through the 1980s. And the questions Griffin asks are, why did the U.S. see increasing demand for policing and punishment during those periods, and what role did evangelicals play in asserting and responding to those demands? This is starting to happen again now, and we need you to yeah, keep I mean, your it's, eyes it's open. Interesting, uh, it's interesting, mm-hmm. and this is, like, you know, part of why, you know, you have to read and read widely and, you know, sort of consume um, as much information as you can, right, because um, some people would put it further, even further back than that, because, you know what I exactly. mean? Because mm-hmm. um, when you think about um, – there is a, a young woman, she's a goes by Black Forager on social media and she's brought mm-hmm. light and a lot of attention to um to, you know, black people foraging. Um right. you know, um slavery and the post slavery period. And it was very interesting. Um I came across um a very short video um that was sort of kind of you know, talking about that issue. And um, one of the things that it it brought up was that, you know, we have this narrative in this country about, about who, who came here and who the people were that came here. But largely a lot of them were criminals as far as, you know, the UK was concerned. Um, And a large part of the, a large part of the problem was um, the notion of private and, and public property, right? And mm-hmm. so there were a lot of instances where people would, you know, hunt or gather, and they were on some lord's property, right? Um, which right. would lead them to punishment and, you know, expulsion, you know, from um, mm-hmm. from Britain. And right. the, when when they started the United States, Initially, that was not a part of the plan to have. Those yeah, it was types a punishment. Yeah, the 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 so the trespassing laws and and um, you know along with vagrancy and all of those types of things were really aimed at forcing black people into the economy, right? Right. Forcing black people to work. Um, because there were ways that black people were um, finding to work for themselves or to um, feed themselves that didn't require them to um, provide their labor cheaply right. to white people any longer. And so a lot of exactly. those, the rules about trespassing, all that type of stuff, came out of that directly. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it does go all the way back, you know, when um, the slaves were emancipated, you know, and they were going out and, and, and basically exercising their freedom, liberty, what have you, or what was allowed for them to have. 
and how many of these white cities and towns didn't know what to do with these freed blacks and, you know, how Jim Crow came to be, how blacks were screwed during Reconstruction. You have the black codes. You know, we've been asking you guys to research and look that up for years so that you can have a better understanding of what's happening. And, you know, guys, it's happening again now. And I know some people, oh, they're just being hysterical or histrionic or whatever. I don't know how you don't see it. I can't make you see it. But a lot of the things that we talked about has come to pass. And it's not that anyone is prescient or any that is just history is cyclical. And you need to understand that. And if you don't understand history, then you will not understand the present. And you sure as hell won't understand what they're trying to push for the future because what's happening now, this is a battle of a minority of white people wanting to be in control in America with the shading of America. Black and brown people are, you know, again, becoming the majority of this country. And these white people do not want to give up control, especially some of these boomers that are out here, these older white folks. They will fight until you put them six feet under. But they are training their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. But some of the younger generations are pushing back, which is one of the reasons why during the COVID um, period when we were basically confined to our houses, why some of the colleges and universities had to open back up because those kids didn't want to be in the same house with their racist parents and grandparents. They didn't want to hear that bullshit. And so there was a backlash to that as well. But anyway, I know I am totally off. But, no, you're absolutely correct. Um, one example that I would like people to pay attention to just in general, especially those of you that love watching those medieval series, you know, you ever see how the king would have to consult with the priest or the pope and how sometimes the priest and the pope would have the audacity to tell the king that they held similar power, the same power, if not more? They still have that same mentality to this day in many of these white churches and in some black churches as well. But, um, mm -mm. Mm -mm. you know, I just see a lot of that as, you know, some of the things that we see with the prison system and how the church evangelicals going into the prisons to minister. Some of them have opened up, um, you know, like transient homes, like Salvation Army when someone becomes homeless or they were just released from prison and some of these organizations have their own recidivism programs. However, you have to pray when they tell you to pray. You have to confess Jesus, Lord, and all of this before they will feed you or they give you a place to stay. 
And, again, it's a law and order politics, you know, even in that particular example there. I just, I don't understand what's so complicated for people to understand about this system. Now, are there some people that do not need to be roaming the streets? I guess that's the best way to put it. There are other ways to deal with those problems, or am I totally off base, Raina? I mean, I don't. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is that we've not tried <laughs> other right. means of, of dealing with these these complex issues. Um, even though we have data that tells us where uh, what the sources of crime are, primarily. You know, mm-hmm. um, so you know, but unfortunately, we haven't really let that really inform the way that we make society. Um, in large part, because that means that that would that would mean that there would be entire sectors of the economy that would need to disappear for that to happen. Exactly, and um, you know, and a lot of people are not ready for anything to shift that radically. And uh, that makes sense, you know. Um, but yeah. the truth of the matter is, is that um, is that we can build a better society, structure it in such a way that people's basic needs are met, um, that people have access to important things like health care and um, mental health care and food and shelter and all of and living wages and those things by themselves would have a tremendous impact on what crime looks like you know but um exactly i mean if someone requires investment right no 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 i was just going to say if someone stole something from you know the grocery store and they say they did it because they were hungry I don't necessarily believe that they deserve to be in prison. I feel like we should take them food. Help them. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. I do not. It's amazing, you know, and especially because the way the laws are codified or codified, you know, black people go to jail, white people get rehab. White people get resources. In many cases, the resources are already available in their communities, and they know how to take advantage of those, whereas some of those same resources may be in the black community, but it's not advertised. They're not telling people with no oversight of some of these organizations, they're just spending the money any way they want, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I talk about how these conservatives and libertarians and even some liberals, particularly blue dog liberals and moderate liberals, how they want to take these, you know, um, federal social safety net programs and push them out to the church, they know these people do not have the infrastructure to continue with these programs, and then you still have corruption behind that. 
So where is that going to leave the people? Mm. You know, and the penal system in America is extreme, especially when you compare it to other cultures. But again, that's that American exceptionalism, right? Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Um, there's an article that's in Truth Out. Faith communities must stop funding programs that reinforce mass incarceration. This was written in March of 2021 by Jason Lydon. I want you guys to go out there and read some of these articles because we're getting ready to kind of wrap this up. I want you to read some of these articles and, and, and again, ask yourself, how can those of you that are secular, what role do you play? What role can you play? Especially if you're a member, you're paying membership fees and a proud member of some of these white secular organizations. Look, these secular organizations, I've just come to the conclusion that they are scared of their members. They are scared of them because that's where the money comes from. While they still want to deny that quite a few of the white members that they have are racist, sexist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic. That's one of the reasons why the secular community gets pushback from a lot of the whites in their community because, you know, again, they don't care anything about LGBTQ rights. They don't care anything about racial equality, you know, or or gender equality or, you know, any of these things. They just want to be regular white people again. And then they want to say that these other things shouldn't matter. Why? Because they're still white. And that even includes the white feminists, especially the white feminists. I've found them to be as ferocious, if not more ferocious, than some of these sick-ass white men in the community. But what do I know? A little black girl from the south side of Chicago. So, um, you know, I definitely want you all to check that out. And if you scroll to the middle of that article, there's an interview, and it talks about white supremacist Christianity drives Trump's loyal mob. We must scream it by George Yancey. And, um, you know, mass, another article, mass incarceration is religious, and so is abolition, a provocation. This was written in August. 2018 by Joshua Doubler and Vincent Lloyd. I want you to go and read that. And again, I'm going to post this a little bit later and I'll make sure I tweet it out as well. But um, is ending mass incarceration a Christian imperative? And again, that's the name of the article. Is ending mass incarceration a Christian imperative? And this came out March of 2012. And, um, you know, because I promised Rain I wasn't going to take up all her time today. So, um, you know, <laughs> there are a couple other points you want to hit on, Raina, before we wrap this up. No, I mean, I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, and the main thing is to impress upon the audience that we have to think, we have to think bigger, you know, it's got to be yeah. more than just, there's got to be more to life than just, you know, trying to 
um, get, you know, all religious icons removed from public spaces. Like, you know what I mean? Especially when you've right. got larger issues like this. You know what I mean? Like, I have to care like, less about whether or not there are roadside memorials with crosses or, you know, or even, you know, public public statues that have, you know, religious iconography. I really could care less. There you um, go. I, I, mm-hmm. I am, you know, as a black woman, am more affected by these issues, um, these issues right. that relate to religiosity that are not necessarily, that, that don't necessarily have to be related to religiosity on their surface. Right. And so exactly. for me, I, you know, I, I'm just, I would like to encourage people to read more, to think more, to engage with these subjects, to, to figure out where the root causes are, right? And um, mm-hmm. and see if maybe there's there's a way for you to use your voice, to use your political uh, your political activism, your you know whatever, in service of issues that would exactly you know exactly right you know because we need to change this narrative or have a heavy mm-hmm. influence in this particular narrative. And again, mm-hmm. some of these, you know, white organizations have people that have been educated in public policy and as a service to your membership base as well as those that are on the outside looking in, if you have the people on staff, why aren't you doing public policy education? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you partnering with, you know, even some of the faith-based organizations that are out here advocating for certain public policy. I don't understand. You know, you need to hire consumers. I mean, even down to, even down to, like, certain things, like, I just saw, and we all know that there's a Christian fascist movement in this country, right? But there are some Christian groups that are pushing that. I literally just saw a a Vice program on YouTube of a church that was having drag story time. A church. Exactly. So there are here here we have an issue, right? It's a secular issue. This is a this is about whether or not people can practice their art in public. Right. Right. right? And it's and it's ideological because these these Christians have decided that this art is 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 related to LGBT stuff. And they don't want that. They don't want to see that stuff in the public, right? Well, you don't get to decide that I have to hide in a closet, or that right. these people have to hide in a closet because you have an agenda. And and it's a very it's a very clearly the sort of thing where like it, you know the secular community could easily step in and support. Uh, interfaith, you know, um, interfaith programs or, you know, events that would highlight this sort of thing. You know what I mean? Mm Because not everyone is on board with 
this, this, the fascism, with the slow-moving fascist, you know, hellscape that we're moving towards, you know? Exactly. And, you know, they're trying to force people back into the closet, which is basically a prison. They want mm-hmm. you to imprison yourself. Hey, hey. I want you <laughs> to think about that. I yeah. need for you all to think about this. And so, yeah, no, you know, we're back. I mean, they're trying to imprison your thoughts. They want to ban books. They don't want their children to to know that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Jose Clemente once faced racism. You know what I mean? In the in the children's Mm -hmm. book. I mean, they don't even, you know, it's it's they want to ban books that have Rosa Parks in it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what in the world? They are trying to they are trying to imprison you. They are trying to imprison your mind. Think about this. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that you got to also remember, even with some of these pastors, and in particular, some of these black pastors, you all need to recognize that some of them do work with and for some of these criminal enterprise government gangs that are known by three letters. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is working in your best interest, and just because they're wearing clerical clothing or you know or whatever the hell they wear, you know, just because that's your pastor or an evangelist that you like, that does not mean that they have your best interest at heart. All these selfish assholes running around out here, and you really think they're thinking about you and your future? You know, but going back, yeah, we're back. We're getting ready to start putting pressure on your asses again. We we stepped back a little bit in 2015, and, you know, I stepped back, you know, pretty much in 2020, and a lot of the reason why I stepped back was personal. I, I was, child, you all have no idea what I've been going through. And um, and, and that's okay because I made it out on the other side. But, you know, for those of you that get a chance, I want you to go and watch Eyes on the Prize. So, you know, they play that on PBS. They play part one. You need to pay attention to part two because it talks a little bit about the black church and the participation that some of them played in the civil rights and the black power movements. And as black people and people of color and even white people to educate yourselves, you need to understand why those that were part of the black church that were speaking out how and why they were crushed and why they fear saying anything now. Mm-hmm. There's a reason behind that. While the their white evangelical, white Christian nationalist counterparts are trying to turn this country into a theocracy, and you all are doing what? Having seven to ten different conferences a year? whereby you're bringing in the same people over and over. Why? Because they're fucking each other. You know what? I cannot. (laughs) I mean, seriously. 
I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, I'm just, you know, you have a way of saying I mean, come on now. I didn't, I, did I say you were wrong? Did I say anywhere that you were oh, wrong, Kim? Chill. No, 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 no. No, I get you, but I mean, look at AHA. I'm gonna call you out today. Fuck it. American Humanist Association. Why the fuck can't you keep black people on staff? Mm-mm. Why are it's all a, the a, former black employees angry? Yeah. Interesting. American atheists, now you all want to participate in interfaith shit. But you condemned us when we were talking about this 11, 12 years ago, not only talking about it, participating in it. Many of you are picking up our old playbook. We're not necessarily mad about it. We would like some credit. But the thing is, is that where is your fucking originality? Why must we think mm-hmm. out the box for you? Mm-hmm. You'll never get me to understand that. Oh, and wow. Even with the it, ma- only took them, look, yeah. Kim, it only took them like yeah. a decade to talk about, look, look I'm looking at some of the subjects in the, uh, in the program from American Atheist, right? So they had a mm-hmm. program talking about a bullet train to Christian nationalism vouchers and public school privatization. But this is this is the same organization that went to CPAC. Did yep. they push back on, on, on vouchers and privatization? Did they talk about, you know, the racism inherent in that movement, how that movement came about directly because of the Brown versus Board of Ed decision? Exactly. No, I'm sure they didn't. Let's see. Right. Um, Secular organizing from the ground up. Hmm. But what are you? And funny how they want us to do. And funny how they want us to educate them and influence them for free. And you know Mm -hmm. what? I used to be really passionate about all of these things. I still am. But you're fucking gonna pay me now. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll happily happily help you after you sign this contract because we know Mm -hmm. it's lip service any damn way. Mm. And all you're doing is Mm. trying to find a new token that you can put on a pedestal. And guess what? We're coming for that motherfucker too. I mean, this, this this list is like I'm like I'm like hmm. I feel like we talked about that and that too. No, it's ten years ago. Weird how that works. <laughs> oh yeah, but we were told that we were wrong. You know, you know, it's it's just interesting. You know, and one of the people who was condemning me personally for talking about interfaith and willing to sit down and have a conversation with Christians, particularly black Christians. Why? Because I was raised as one. My entire family, you know, I'm pretty sure there are a few of them that think I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. 
because I don't fall on my knees and praise their Jesus. Well, anyway, this one black woman, she ended up sitting next to me eventually, and I turned and I looked at her, and I said, yeah, all this stuff you talk about online when you're condemning me, say it now. And they got this look on their face, and they started laughing, and they were like, ha, 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 oh, that's just online. And they got the fuck away from me. I need you to understand I will confront you in real life. And so, anyway, honey, you know, there are a few more articles. I may as well shout them out, you know, since we're getting ready to wind it down. But, yeah, they're coming up on all this shit, you know, a decade later, getting rid of some of the problematic shit a decade later. And it's just funny because, you know, they were complicit with these other folks, and they knew it was a false narrative, but they went Mm -hmm. with it anyway. They Mm -hmm. should be condemned alongside that other person. As I've stated before in writing on this white woman's thread, why aren't some of these people in jail? Mm -hmm. Openly embezzling money, committing grand larceny, so anyway, um, you know, um, from Scranton University, there's an article entitled Religion in Corrections, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, I want you guys to go and take a look at that as well as let's break the cycle of poverty and criminalization. And unfortunately, with a lot of people in movement atheism, many of them are eugenicists. And many of them hate poor people. Mm-hmm. And it's important that, you know, especially you black, brown, and indigenous atheists that are out there agnostics, you know, disgruntled believers, spiritual, whatever you want to call yourself, it don't make me know never mind. But you need to understand what's happening here. So, again, Read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, The Condemnation of Blackness by Khalil Muhammad. Um, Again, Miriam Kaba, you want to go and, you know, pick up a couple of her books. Anthea Butler's um, book about white Christian nationalism. You know, and it was a couple of people that, you know, tried to have conversations around it, but you know, the person that was trying to have that conversation around it didn't give a damn about any of this stuff. They just wanted to try their damnedest to replace Raina and me and Jen. Mm. And I and I hate to, to say it this yeah. <laughs> and you know, and and yeah, and I, I just want to bring something to that person's attention. Because, you know, I you got so much going on right now, I really don't think you have the opportunity to think clearly. Isn't it interesting how after you decided you wanted to talk about social justice, your entire world imploded? Where you set Almost up. Almost like honey. a diamond grenade went off. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, y'all. We get ready to head on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, how tone deaf! So 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 tone deaf. Oh, uh, 
We're here to challenge you to think and live flat. for yourself, Just baby. Flat. Flat. Flat, flat. Flat, 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 flat. Girl, A flat, B flat. Okay. Jesus be a scale around my tongue. Look, look, look. Jesus be a scale. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, my God. You know I got that damn T-shirt machine. I may have to make you, Jen, and myself some diamond grenade T-shirts and shit. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know a girl, save your, save, save your, save your energy. Don't waste your time. Oh, man. So, anyway, y'all, um, you know, we thank you for supporting us all of these years. Um, you know, a lot of good came out of that time. You know, Raina finished her PhD program, and we're so proud of her. Um, and 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 currently working on her MBA because she's a badass. Wait, wait, wait! Not an MBA. It's an MBA micro credentials. Let's be clear. Okay. Not the same. Same thing. Not well, the same. I mean, not the same thing. But the thing is, it's still more than what most <laughs> of us get. So, you know, we can come to you and ask you economic questions and shit. You'll be able to give us a decent answer, you know. But, um, you know, (laughs) over the years, I've been telling you all to put away coins because, you know, there were some things that were going to happen in this country economically, and it's happening now. And please don't sleep on what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Do not sleep on what's happening with blockchain as well as artificial intelligence and quantum computing. I know you're like, Kim, what the fuck? I'm not saying that I want you to become a subject matter expert. What I'm saying is I just want you to be able to hear some of these things and have an inkling of an understanding of what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that you guys understand BRICS, B-R-I-C-S. B stands for Brazil, R stands for Russia, I stands for India, C stands for China, and S stands for South Africa. And I remember talking about this on the show several times, but especially when I came back from Belgium and Amsterdam, and I was talking about the old Silk Road and how basically China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran were trading amongst each other, bypassing NATO and and the American dollar being, you know, um, the standard of the monetary system. They're creating their own. You have these emerging economies. Mexico just applied to be a part of BRICS as well. And I know some of you are like, Kim, what the fuck? Look, I'm just trying to help you have a better understanding of what's happening and how you can prepare yourself because it's going to happen. Whether you understand or agree with it or not, and how basically World War III is staring us in the face. Mm-hmm. And also, don't sleep on what's fucking happening in the Ukraine and why it's important for us to pay attention to that. 
you, the Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. If Russia gets control of, of that, of Ukraine, they can starve the rest of Europe out. You think we have a food shortage now. Just wait. So anyway, right now, I don't derailed my own damn podcast. Uh, <laughs> I probably, I'm thinking. You do I this all the time. I know, I can't help myself. You know, um, I may do a show tomorrow. I may do a show Monday. That's the good thing about being in control of the podcast. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I want to pontificate a little bit more about some of the things that we talked about today. And it's so much to catch up on. We won't be able to catch up on it. We just can talk about what's happening now and try to link some of the other things. But, yeah, I definitely want you all to go out and read on this. And I'm still challenging these large white organizations to take 10% of whatever funding and donations they get in through the year. And I know some of you decided to give that money to some of the black and brown secular organizations out there. You know, from a lot of what I've seen, 90% of those black, brown, and indigenous organizations do not deserve that money. And I know it's going to be controversial that I said that, but they fucking don't because they don't stand for what they claim that they stand for. And then they talk about that they want to vet other black, brown, Asian, indigenous people that are in community. Yeah, they want to vet you. And the reason why they want to vet you is because they want you to participate and condone the suckery. This just blew up in your faces even though we have been telling you about it for over a decade. But we were problematic. We'll be problematic, but, bitch, we were right. Remember that. And it was much worse than we initially thought. Over the years, some of the stuff that we've uncovered, it was some. there are a couple of secular organizations out here that are laundering money. There are a couple of them that have, you know, that are um, receiving dark money. Mm -hmm. Those of you that are purchasing memberships in these organizations, you need to really understand what you're fucking financing and supporting. Right. And some of these white organizations, you need to think about some of the people that you are elevating and magnifying, they ain't right. So anyway, honey, thank you guys for listening in. This is Black Free Thinkers. We have Raina on the line. My name is Kim, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. That's it, and that is all. We wish you the absolute best, and for some of you, we hope you get Everything you deserve. All right. I would say God bless America. But (laughs) hey. Good night, everybody. Good night. I hope America gets the day that it deserves. (laughs) Bye. I I, I hope they get everything they deserve. All right, y'all. Take it easy. (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, honey.